morning, wherever or whenever you cats and kittens are. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. And tonight, we make our sixth divisional stop of our 2021 NFL Draft Recap Series in the NFC West. And this is a division in the midst of an arms race on offense that only accelerated in the draft. And to help us analyze whether the 49ers, Cardinals, Rams, or Seahawks got the best weaponry in the draft is our good friend Jeff Barnes of Cover 2 Draft. What's happening, Jeff? Just trying to keep up with the Joneses. <laughs> <laughs> yep, uh, aren't we all? And uh, and we shall keep up with the Joneses by starting to analyze this 49ers draft class. And the Niners arguably made the biggest move in the arms race draft-wise. After losing out to the division rival Rams in the Matthew Stafford sweepstakes, the Niners went all in on finding their next franchise quarterback in the draft, trading two future first-round picks to move all the way up to three, where they selected Trey Lance. And before they made the move, Mark Schofield, one of the best quarterback minds the business of the USA Today Touchdown Wire told me on this podcast that there was no clearer hand and glove scheme fit between prospect and team than Lance and the Niners. Also, many believe that out of the four top quarterbacks in the draft, Lance's ceiling was the highest. And NFL.com's Lance Zierlein compared Trey Lance to Josh Allen, and Lance clearly has far better decision-making and accuracy than Allen did coming out of college. Given the athletic profile, the system he walks into, and the talent around him, would it surprise you if Trey Lance is regarded as the best quarterback from this draft class five years down the line? Well, absolutely. I can see how that people would come to that conclusion, especially uh, going into the Shanahan offense, which fits what he does. He comes out of a West Coast-style offense at uh, North Dakota State, and he's a perfect fit for what they want to do. He has the athleticism, he has the size to move around, make throws on a run. And he's a very smart player at the line of scrimmage. He did uh, made did a great job of uh, tweaking some of his uh, throwing motions coming into the draft process. So I think he's going to be overall a better player. Plus, he doesn't have to be rushed into the fire. Uh, he he most uh, certainly does. But uh, my question was, would you be surprised if five years down the line, Trey Lance is regarded as the best quarterback from this draft class? Oh, absolutely. Like I was saying, coming into that scheme fit, I, it sets them up for success early. And I think that's one of the things we talk about rookie quarterbacks coming in when they go to a situation, is the situation right for them? Well, we talked about the big arm strength of, of Zach Wilson. And yes, going into New York, is it going to be a success uh, story for him with the things going on there? Maybe, maybe not. Lance doesn't have that situation. You look at it five years down the road. If he has a hot start, he's going to be considered the best prospect in his draft class. Oh, I completely agree. I am super, super bullish on Trey Lance, and uh, I cannot wait to see what he does with Kyle Shanahan maybe as early as uh, the midway point of this season, or earlier, depending on how he does in a training camp. And in the second round, the 49ers made an odd selection with Notre Dame guard Aaron Banks, and what made it so is that Aaron Banks isn't that athletic pulling guard that is a major, major requirement in a Kyle Shanahan zone-based offense. Why do you think the 49ers took a guy like Aaron Banks? Uh, because he's a people mover. When you look at Aaron Banks, he is that boxy, big, mauling guard. And he may not be the most athletic, but at Notre Dame, he ran a lot of zone. And believe you me, they ran very well behind him. Aaron Banks has the ability to move people inside. He's stout enough to hold up in protection. I think he's going to get stronger, as we talked about with a lot of guys coming from college to pro. There is a, a, a strength gap 90% of the time for most guys. So he's one of those guys that is going to get even stronger than he was at Notre Dame. He did have his struggles at times with some big bodies inside, but overall, he's a guy he go expected faster than I expected him to go. I expect him to go around into later, but overall, the I, I agree with his ceiling. I think he's going to be a fine starter for many years to come. 
Uh, yes, but uh, how does his lack of athleticism fit in a Kyle Shanahan offense? That's my biggest concern. Well, he's not under, you know, he doesn't, he's not a poor athlete. He's a quality athlete. He's just not, you know, these guards that are going to get out in space and make big plays. I think overall, though, when you look at what the Shanahan's do, when you look at what he's able to do, he can pull and be effective and move people. He can execute in his own scheme. And most importantly, he can get out there in screens. He's not going to be your, like I said, your most athletic player that's going to catch the fastest linebacker sideline to sideline. But overall, he's going to be a guy you run the ball behind all the time, and they do want to run inside. Uh, They most certainly do. And speaking of running the ball, the Niners added to their backfield in the third round by trading their fourth round pick to move up to 88 overall, where they took Trey Sermon out of Ohio State, formerly of Oklahoma. And after this pick was made, my friend Carl Dumbler, who was on air on my draft night live stream at the time, said it would not surprise him if Sermon eventually becomes the go-to guy at running back at San Francisco at some point this year. Now, given the fact that Jeff Wilson may miss the first month of the season due to the meniscus surgery he just underwent, plus Raheem Mostert's inability to stay healthy, can you see Trey Sermon ending up with the lion's share of carries for the 49ers this season? Yeah, he can be the lead dog in their committee. I mean, we talked about Mostert with the injuries, and I think he's a better runner than Wilson. I know a lot of people like Wilson, but when you look at Trey Sermon, at Oklahoma, he didn't exactly overwhelm, but he shows you the maturity that he needed to at Ohio state. Um, he had the weapons on the outside and also made it easier for him. So going into that situation, once again, you're talking about a quarterback, two quarterbacks there who can move and throw. So those boots off the zones are going to come in handy where that once they're showing that boot action is going to keep the backside there. He has the ability to read the zones and uh, cut back. So he's going to be one of those players who it may take a while for him to get going, but by later in the season, he's going to be a full stride and, like I said, he's better than Wilson, in my opinion. And if most of it is hurt, he can definitely take over. I agree. And now moving on to the Arizona Cardinals, who, with the 16th overall pick, took Tulsa linebacker Zayvon Collins and Bill Carroll, a mutual friend of ours and your colleague at Nuts and Bolts Sports, said pre-draft that he thought Collins, not Micah Parsons, was the best off-ball linebacker in this draft, and he even compared him to Hall of Famer Brian Erlacher. Do you share his view, and regardless of whether you do or don't, how high are you on David Collins as an explosive playmaking linebacker in the NFL? I have I am very high on Collins, not higher not as high as Bill. I have him up in my top five as well. Um, in the, going into this draft process. I love Zayvon Collins' game. We talk about that big body linebacker that fits in any position, outside, inside. I think he's going to be a great addition inside for the Cardinals. I know they want to play him all over outside and inside, but here's a guy who can rush the passer, who can drop into coverage and be equally effective, who can get sideline to sideline, and doing all of this at 265, 270 pounds. So you're talking about a nice, thick body linebacker that's going to be able to hold up against the run, be able to hold up to the pounding those big bodies when they get to the second level. And he's maybe get off of blocks, which is something that you really, really want to see out of your linebackers. So I, overall, I love the pick of Collins. I think overall him fitting into the Cardinals scheme is perfect. Yes, and uh, based on uh, reporting uh, last month, uh, the Arizona Cardinals want to mainly play Zayvon Collins at one of those two off-ball linebacker spots in Vance Joseph's defense. And Mm -hmm. uh, as a result, they're shopping Jordan Hicks as of this moment. What do you think Zayvon Collins' addition to the Cardinals' defense means for their first-round pick from a year ago in Isaiah Simmons? 
I think you pair him with Simmons, especially when we talk about those sub packages where it's just two linebackers inside. And there's at times where you might even see Zayvon Collins when they go three down, walk up as an outside rusher. So I think what you're going to see a lot of different games with Zayvon Collins playing in the stacked linebacker, definitely. But don't be surprised in some sub packages. He is lined up as a rush backer on the outside. He has that ability. If you have it, you got to let him use it. But this this frees up. Um, the last year's pick by big time because now it allows Collins to be that enforcer. It allows him to be that playmaker, and it allows um, them to play free with with the last year's pick. Oh, very good point. And uh, as you alluded to, Zayvon Collins did bulk up from 260 pounds to 270 pounds during the pre-draft process. And one theory was that uh, he bulked up to 270 because he wants to play more snaps uh, coming off the edge. Uh, uh, do you think that's the case? It's definitely it definitely fits what he did, um, and also I think it's just the fact he's getting stronger. You talk about he, he, we talk about it all the time. Guys getting stronger from the collegiate level to the NFL level. A lot of what he added was muscle. It wasn't just bulk. So you're looking at a guy who added the muscle, is able to run with that muscle. He put up some great times at his pro day, which is another reason why he went in the first round. I think if he's going to play on the outside, he definitely needed a little extra kick. He got that. But I think overall, like I said, don't be surprised if he stays inside most of the time. But in certain packages, he does line up as that edge rusher and and, and gets the chance to rush. Because I think overall, they need his thumping ability against the run. And the Cardinals were widely believed to want to make a big trade up in the first round for Jalen Waddell. And obviously, they weren't able to do so, but they added to their arsenal in the second round with Rondale Moore. And our friend Bill Carroll, who we just mentioned, he described Rondale Moore on this podcast to me as, quote, the mutant love child of Darren Sproles <laughs> and Eric Metcalf. How do you see Cliff Kingsbury using the 2018 Paul Horning Award winner this season? Expect a lot of movement out of Rondale Moore. Expect him in a slot, motioning around. It's, it's going to look a lot like how um, the Rams use their slot receivers, always in motion, always getting the jets and the, and the uh, screens. And They're going to do a lot with Rondale Moore. He'll get some chances to run downfield and catch the ball. But don't be surprised if most of the time he's getting the ball near the line of scrimmage. Yes, and another underrated thing about Rondé Moore, a lot of people pan him for, for his size. Like uh, he's like about 5'7", 5'8", 5'9", and about uh, 170 pounds. But uh, his weight room strength is just off the charts. Like I heard from mm -hmm. Bill that he like squatted uh, 600 pounds at Purdue. And uh, you definitely see that strength on tape. Absolutely. He's, he has that running back, uh, small running back build, those thicker thighs, um, nice power base down low. So he's well distributed. And it's one of the reasons why he's so explosive. Um, and he, he doesn't have that long frame, but he's a short, stout, quick running back or slash receiver. If you want to call him a running back slash receiver, I think he's going to get some running, some carries out of the backfield um, in Arizona. They're going to use him all in the utility guy, but like I said, when he how he's built, he has that lightning in a bottle quickness, um, where he you get him in short area spaces and he can escape and elude people and get into the open field. And they're going to take advantage of that. They're going to motion him around and do a lot of movement stuff with him to get him in, in a situation where defenders are constantly in trail, allowing him to do what he does his best in space. Indeed, and the Cardinals were clearly lacking explosive playmaking ability on offense outside of DeAndre Hopkins last season, and they are counting on Rondale Moore to provide exactly that. And now on to the Los Angeles Rams, who despite signing Deshaun Jackson in free agency, 
They wanted a long-term vertical option in their passing offense, and they hoped they got it with 2-2 Atwell. But that said, the pick was a bit of a head-scratcher given Atwell's underwhelming size. He weighed only like 155 at the Louisville Pro Day. Do you think we mostly see 2-2 Atwell on punt and or kickoff returns this year before he earns a larger role in Sean McVay's offense? Oh, no. I expect him to get utilized in the offense heavily. Uh, once again, we just talked about another guy who's going to be playing in a slot with a lot of movement. Expect the same thing with Atwell. They're going to try and get the matchups inside against weaker uh, coverage players where he can run those whips and all those double moves and option routes. Um, expect sweeps. Expect all of the stuff that you we were talking about. Um, we were just talking about with Rondell Moore. Expect the same thing here. Of course, he's going to get his chances in a return game. But he has down the field quickness. So if you're motioning him around and getting him on safeties and, and slot corners and he's able to get off uh, get off of that or work against zone, he's gonna have that um he's gonna have that uh gosh, what's the receiver from uh, Kansas City, the little receiver? Uh, Tyree Kill. Yes, he's gonna have that kind of effect against zone defenses, especially. Oh, very fascinating. And uh, this definitely looked like a Sean McVay pick from the get-go, and uh, he probably has a plan for him uh, with a package of plays right from the start, so a uh, good point there. And now on to the Seattle Seahawks, who only had one pick in the first three rounds, and with that pick, they took another wide receiver in Dwayne Eskridge. And Dwayne Eskridge, like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, brings speed, speed, and more speed. He's a two-time Indiana State High School track champion. But the reason I personally didn't like this pick was that it's hard to find what Eskridge brings to the table that Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf do not. That said, I'm not a scout, and you are. So my question is, do you see a certain skill or attribute in Eskridge's game that's not in that of Lockett or Metcalf? Um, No, and this is unfortunately how you lose a draft before it starts is just have three picks. And you, you make sure you have to hit on every one of them in this case. And while Estridge, like I said, is going to be a quality player, um, I do not see anything different from what you have. Um, he's not as big as Metcalf, but he does have uh, some of the quickness of Lockett, which helps. It helps to have multiple players that have some of those similar traits because now you have a hard time matching up with it, especially when you have one, more than one guy. Um, I think what he's going to bring to this uh, unit is it gives him the ability to, to move around the formation, but it also gives him the, uh, the ability to use Lockett in the same kind of situation where he can now be in the slot at more or outside. And it's making those guys interchangeable kind of helps. Um, but he just, he is, I wouldn't say, you know, he doesn't really fit the profile of Metcalf. And while he is similar in a lot of ways to Lockett, it doesn't give you a lot of variation. It does give you another guy, though, that can do uh, some of the things that Lockett does. Uh, yes, and based on what you said, it kind of definitely makes sense why the Seattle Seahawks are one of the teams really um, lobbying the Atlanta Falcons to trade for Julio Jones. And uh, mm-hmm. had uh, given that repetitiousness and monotonous uh, quality in the Seahawks receiving core, uh, it would make a lot of sense for them to get Julio Jones in and maybe use Dwayne Eskridge as their um, punt or kickoff returner this year. Wouldn't you say so? Well, they definitely need another player um, other than DK on the outside as a big body player. Uh, Julio Jones fits that bill. Um, and they don't have a lot of uh, talent to trade. So, and, and honestly, all they have are future picks to use. And it'll just be another year of burning up another draft class if they do get Julio Jones. Overall, it wouldn't be a bad move doing it. 
unfortunately for the Seahawks, who have burned away draft class after draft class the past five years, and it's caught up with them with their roster. You look at it, it's very top-heavy, lack of depth, and that would be just another move that would eat away at that depth. Very, very good point. Depth is very, very important. And he is Jeff Barnes, ladies and gentlemen, cover2draft.com. You can follow him on Twitter at JeffBarnes29. And Jeff, now it's time to play our favorite game on this program, Truth or Exaggeration. And in this game, I mentioned the name of a prospect drafted into the NFC West that we have discussed in depth yet. And you tell us whether I'm telling the truth or whether it's an exaggeration and explain why. Starting with the 49ers, Ambry Thomas will start multiple games at corner for the Niners this season. Truth or Exaggeration. Truth. I, I am not totally sold on the Niners' corners, and I think Ambry Thomas can come in and immediately compete for one of those starting jobs. I don't doubt it one bit. I think he's a very, very underrated rookie uh, who has the ability um, to be a very special player. Overall, though, I like I said, I am not totally sold on the, the current corners of the 49ers, so I think he can come in and compete right away. Definitely, that defensive backfield in San Francisco is a mess. Like, they are just one Jason Brett injury away from being totally vulnerable to all kinds of big plays if their pass rush cannot get home. And uh, now on to the Cardinals. And I'm going to butcher this name. Victor Dimukeji will earn himself a healthy role in the Cardinals' edge rotation this year and outperform his six-round draft spot. Truth or exaggeration? I'm going to say an exaggeration just because I think he is still a candidate for a little more body development. When you look at uh, Dumakeji, uh, he is um, still one of those guys who relies on speed, hasn't totally put together a full repertoire of pass rush moves. So he's going to come in as a, as a guy who's going to come off the bench and spell some of their edge rushes. But overall, I still think that uh, he needs to get stronger. Um, hold up at the point of attack versus the run. So that's going to hinder him from getting on the field a lot. Um, and he's going to overall still has to learn how to stack pass rush moves. Just winning with speed isn't always going to work. And executing one spin or a dip uh, up one up and under isn't going to get you there all the time. He has to learn to combine moves, the ability to, to push the edge, spin back inside. Sometimes you have to dip and rip. Um, there are times where you have to do push-pull and be able to be, uh, dip the shoulder, rip to the outside, and win off the edge. He's going to have to learn to combine moves, stack them, and figure out which combinations, when to use them, versus which tackles. All of that stuff comes with experience, stuff that he doesn't have right now. And he'll come in, and his natural ability will get him some playing time. But overall, he's going to have years of growth before he's a really, really dynamic player. Yes, and he will have a chance to add a lot of pass rush moves, learning behind J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones. And on to the Rams. Ernest Jones will beat out Micah Kaiser for one of the Rams' starting inside linebacker jobs at some point this season. Truth or exaggeration? Hmm. I really like Micah Kaiser. Um, As much as I want to say truth, I don't see Kaiser falling out of that position easily. Um, I think Ernest Jones is a heck of a ball player, and I think he can come in and push Kaiser right away. Don't be surprised they find a way to get him on the field together if he can't seem to push Kaiser out. But overall, I think Micah Kaiser, when he was coming out of Virginia, was one of my favorite inside linebackers that was a value pick in that class. And I think overall, you look at him coming in, what he's done so far, I think Ernest Jones is going to have a hard time. He's a very blue-collar player, so it's a very hard time unless you're dynamic, pushing a blue-collar guy out of there because he's dependable. 
Uh, yes, yeah, this is the final year of Micah Kaiser's rookie contract, and he'll be playing for a bigger payday elsewhere uh, this season. And uh, on Ernest Jones, NFL.com uh, player profile, Lance Yearline compared him to um, Micah Kaiser. So uh, maybe the Rams see Ernest Jones as Kaiser's replacement in 2022. Wouldn't you say so? Well, it was definitely a, a very fiscally responsible move to have a guy who can come in in case you can't resign him. Uh, I think overall, when you look at the continuity in the huddle, you may want to keep Kaiser if he's very important to your defense. Um, if you feel that you have somebody else that you can replace with and not lose the defensive intensity, then you make that move. But if you can get Kaiser back on a very feasible deal, I think there's nothing wrong with having both of those guys in the house. Indeed. And on to the Seahawks. Stone Forsyth will succeed Dwayne Brown as the Seahawks starting left tackle by no later than 2023. Truth or exaggeration? I think he does, but not because of performance. I think overall it's going to come down to either money or injuries. And I think Stone Forsyth, when you look at him, he, he wins the, the he wins the eye contest coming off the bus. You see him, he's that big, impressive left tackle. But overall, he, he is a big body tackle, plays like a big body tackle. Struggles to get low enough to stop rushes from getting into him. Um, struggles to, once again, um, utilizes punch for more than um, the initial move. So I think he's one of those guys who he's going to be a swing tackle for at least a year or two until um, he gets really, really uh, entrenched in the NFL game. And then overall, it's just a matter of will he be able to hold up against the top pass rushers on that left side? Uh, I think overall, I don't think Brown's going to fall off enough for him to beat him out. I think it's going to be a matter of injury or just a matter of salary cap. Thank you very much, Jeff. And before we let you go, it's time to play another game called Absolutes. And you know how this game goes. You name your favorite pick in the NFC West draft halls, the most puzzling pick, etc., etc. Starting with your favorite pick in the NFC West in the 2021 NFL Draft. I'm going to go with Arizona and Zayvon Collins. I mean, once again, I, I can't say enough about Zayvon Collins. I did have Parsons ahead of him, but that was as a Mike. I think Zayvon Collins as a Mike is going to be good. I like Parsons as a Mike backer even more. But overall, what he brings to the table and what he's going to be able to do in Arizona, I think he's going to be a very phenomenal player. And I think he's going to be one of the stalwarts on that defense for a very long time. What about the most puzzling pick in the NFC West? Um, the most puzzling pick to me, once again, I have to go back. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I have to go back to San Francisco. And like I said, I love Aaron Banks. I just didn't like taking him in the second round. I think there were other picks that could have helped him in that position. Um, taking him so early, I think they really liked him. I think they had him high on their board. And their grade is obviously much better than mine for Aaron Banks. But I, it just shocked me to take him in a second. Not that I don't uh, – once again, I, I'm a follower of Notre Dame football, so I've seen Aaron Banks for the past four years. And trust me, he is a legit prospect. I just don't see him in the second round. And what about the biggest day three steal in the NFC West? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, for me, uh, the biggest one is going to be him going back to Arizona again. I just love this draft class. Why? Because I think they're going to get a steal and take Allen. And he's a guy who, we talked about it, was a receiver when he got the UCF, went to cornerback, uh, took this year off. He's one of those guys that opted out, and it kind of hurt, as you see. He got taken. Um, so his numbers weren't exactly the greatest. Um, both of his uh, UCF teammates went well ahead of him. So I think he's one of those guys who's going to come in. He's got the chip on his shoulder. 
Uh, going into the draft process, he said he believed he was the best cornerback prospect in the class. Uh, a lot of teams didn't disagree, uh, didn't agree with him. That's why he went late in the sixth. But overall, I think he's one of those guys. Once he gets back into the flow of uh, football every day, gets uh, makes uh, makes the adjustment to the NFL level. I think he's one of those guys who's going to come out of nowhere on a lot of people. Yes, and it's going to be fascinating to see how those three UCF Knights you just mentioned, Tay Gowan and the two teammates of his that went before him with Richie Grant to the Falcons in round two and Aaron Robinson to the Giants in round three. It's going to be very interesting to see how he stacks up against those teammates of his in the National Football League. And who were the best day three picks for the uh, 49ers, Rams, and Seahawks? All right, so for the 49ers, the Amador Lenore, uh, the cornerback. So... Once again, as we talked about corners in this draft, he's one of those guys who is going to come in, is going to learn the outside, is going to learn the slot, and wherever he fits best, once he gets totally settled at the NFL level, I think he's going to come in and he's going to fit into a defense for a very long time. Uh, he's a very, very talented athlete. Um, guys that didn't time overly well kind of fell, and that's the reason why I think he fell into the fifth. But overall, I think he's one of those very, very talented corners who uh, fell into the lap of the Niners in the fifth round. And what about the Rams? Best day three pick for the Rams? Uh, for the Rams, I'm going to say Jacob Harris. And I think Jacob Harris uh, is going to come in. And at first, of course, you have the Rams tight ends already, so he's not going to come in and have this heavy workload. But overall, over time, you're going to see this very productive uh, move tight end that's going to be able to move around and block on some of the run plays. But most importantly, he's going to be one of those guys going to get balls down the field. Um, we see the Rams like to attack down the field. They haven't been able to do it. Now they have a quarterback that makes them consistently do it. And I find that I think that's going to help Jacob Harris in the future. Uh, yes, Dane Brugler was a huge, huge fan of, uh, of Jacob Harris. And uh, we're going to see him... Uh, on special teams a lot this year and uh, probably ascend to that role that you mentioned. And uh, now, last but not least, the best day three picks for the Seattle Seahawks, and they only had like one or two. <laughs> <laughs> they had two. We talked about Stone Forsythe, but I think Trey Brown will be the better player of the two overall. I think Trey Brown is not going to be an all-pro corner, but I think he's going to be a solid corner that eventually ends up on a starting uh, lineup for those guys eventually. Um, not a phenomenal athlete. Um, but a quality football player who knows football, has solid reaction skills. And overall, I think he's going to be a nice scheme fit. Who is going to be the best offensive rookie in the NFC West this season? Oh, man. Um, I would have to say Rondale Moore. I think he's set up for a lot of success in Arizona. How they're going to use him, I think he's going to take a lot away from Andy Isabella. And you're going to see a lot more out of Rondale Moore. Um, like I said, you're going to see him getting the ball on the ground. You're going to see him getting in the air. You're going to see him possibly even on special teams. He's going to be very dependent on to do a lot of the small things that they don't have to use uh, their big receivers for. So overall, I think Rondale Moore is probably going to be the guy who's going to be the most productive. And last but not least, who do you think is going to be the best defensive rookie in the NFC West in 2021? And we've beaten David Collins to death, so to speak. And uh, <laughs> yes. if you can think of anybody other than David Collins, who would it be? <laughs> uh, well, you look at um, the other picks. Well, you could go right back to Arizona <laughs> and look in round four with Marco Wilson. 
You know, and Marco Wilson's going to be a very, very good corner. And I think especially in the slot. We talk about what Arizona does. Um, they're, they're trying to get that secondary younger. But Marco Wilson, we know he's the younger, um, younger brother of Quincy Wilson. Um, and he has a lot of those slot corner abilities. And, and we talk about the league now where you have to have the ability to play in a slot. Uh, you have to have at least three corners that can uh, – compete on a, at least a 40 to 50 play basis. So overall, you're talking about a guy who's going to come in, compete not only um, on the outside, but potentially as the starting slot corner. And I think he's going to, I think he's going to really, really impress a lot of people. Jeff Barnes, ladies and gentlemen, cover to draft.com. Follow him on Twitter at Jeff Barnes two nine. Thank you very much once again for joining us, Jeff. And that's it for today here on sports crunch, but we'll be back with a lot of exciting, New episodes this month, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that's crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Jeff. You can also follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 or Instagram now at sportscrunch with dcrom. For Jeff Barnes, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome, stay safe, stay sane, and folks, all 32 NFL stadiums will be allowed to be at full capacity this fall. But if you don't want to wear a mask to the game, please get vaccinated if you haven't done so yet. Take care, cats and kittens, and stay cool. (laughs) 